Hello, welcome to AUSU Open Mic, a podcast brought to you by Athabasca University Students' Union. I am Christina Godoy-Contois, your VP External and your Indigenous Circle Rep for a little while longer, and I'm joined by uh, Reza Malik. Um, Reza, did you want to give us a little bit of an introduction about who you are? And by the way, thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much. Hello, hello. Uh, so yes, I am the Chair for Digital Engineering and Construction uh, at the Karlsruhe Institute of Technology. Um, I'm very excited to be here and talk a bit more about uh, some of the limitations and opportunities to utilize AI in construction. Let's see where we can get going from here. Uh, Duncan, did you want to do an introduction yourself? Yeah, sure. So my name is Duncan Watasik. Uh, I work for, for, for the Students' Union. I'm the Governance and Advocacy Coordinator. I also happen to be the one who hits record on the podcast and adjusts the levels and stuff, but I'm also here and, and dang, I'm very interested in today's topic. Me too. Um, so, I mean, the topic, obviously, uh, we're going to be talking about the ethical use of AI in academia. Uh, we might focus a little bit on 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 a software like a chat GPT, but to be honest, it's about AI in general and the fear around it. Uh, and I thought who better to talk about it than someone who uh, both went to a university as an international student in Canada at the UFC, but also someone who teaches it and introduced uh, ChatGPT into his course curriculum at KIT. And so um, with that being said, I would really like to kick off by asking Reza, uh, how did you, you know, how did you actually uh, come to Canada? What, what, what has been your career like? And if you could kind of give us a little bit of an idea around, you know, how did technology play a role in advancing your career? Yes. So I actually moved to, to Canada in 2010 um, from Iran. And um, I actually grew up in a very uh, academic family. So my father was also an academic. So um, he also had quite a bit of uh, affinity with, with technology and uh, utilizing technology uh, in his work as well, as well as his teaching. So that kind of gave me a bit of a bit of a background towards it. But when I came to Canada, I basically uh, did my master's uh, with respect to the utilization of remote sensing technologies. Back then, it was a technology called ultra wideband, which is a um, kind of like a, 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 an indoor, a more accurate GPS, to, to say it in a very crude and layman's way. Um, and basically, I utilized that and, and conducted some experimentation and created a safety management uh, process that you can utilize these technologies to improve safety on construction projects. So that was my master's. And then for my PhD, I did, uh, again, at the University of Calgary, I, I changed a bit from my topic. It still was involved with automation and utilization of technology. Um, and that was with respect to development of a automated method to improve uh, monitoring and control. So this includes uh, construction, let's say progress monitoring, uh, minimization of, of, of waste, um, and improving quality and construction using uh, a new technology back then or a technology that was not as, as prominently used back then in the construction industry, which now you have it more or less at least um, uh, some small parts of it in, in the new iPhones, which is called LIDAR, which stands for Light Detection and Ranging. 
Um, and from that, you basically get a 3D image of the surrounding area. And then using that uh, and processing, and, and basically my work was to create a method in order to be able to analyze and process this data and information, compare it with the construction plans, and then identify any type of deviation with respect to, let's say, schedule discrepancies, as well as quality and other aspects as well in an automated way. And the reason why this was so important was because this is a type of process, essentially the monitoring and control, that is what we call a non-tool time activity, which is basically a non-productive activity. You don't get uh, production points for basically monitoring and controlling uh, building data. You, uh, you get brownie points essentially for, for actually building something. So this is something, but however, you need it quite often because you need to compare it with some sort of baseline. And because of that, you have the ability, if you can continuously monitor and control uh, the progress on other aspects that are important uh, for the project's success, uh, autonomously, uh, this is something that is repetitively required and it's considered non-tool time. So it's the prime candidate for automation. Um, so that's pretty much my, my area that I worked on in my master's and PhD. Then for my postdoc, I basically um, uh, essentially continued on that path and, and improved some of those processes, um, uh, included uh, other optical instruments like cameras to be able to, to utilize um, those uh, through your smartphone to, to, let's say, detect objects on construction projects like pipes and everything else and compare it with the blueprints that are available for various different aspects. And there's quite a bit of, of let's say, um, software development and quite a bit of algorithmic thinking that is required in order to get from the data that you collect to what you have to analyze and to what you have to compare it with, which needs to be in the same level of detail essentially so there's quite a bit of technical parts which i'm not going to bore you too much with the details but these were all in combination with um, industry partners that we had uh, throughout the years and uh, i was very happy that in 2018 i actually um of course uh, with with the team of of my supervisor and co-supervisor won the alberta science and technology foundation 2018 um, Aztec Awards uh, for Outstanding Achievement in Applied Technology uh, because some of the research was quite a bit advanced and uh, supported the industry quite a bit, uh, which I'm very happy because that's what we want for academic research, especially in applied sciences and engineering, which is my field. And then, of course, right now, I, I had the, the honor to, to essentially be uh, employed here uh, at uh, one of the top five uh, universities in Germany and actually one of the 10 uh, universities of excellence in Germany, the Karlsruhe Institute of Technology. And my uh, chair position as a, as a professor uh, is actually um, uh, sponsored by the largest family-owned construction company in Germany, uh, Goldbeck, which uh, is basically the leader in, in uh, industrialized construction and um, digitization and construction. And here I've been uh, basically 
working with with technology from from the most up to date um, scientific uh, uh, discoveries in let's say software um, the development and computer science from artificial intelligence and uh, machine learning deep learning uh, you know now with 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 chat gpt we we have quite a bit of opportunities with natural language processing and of course uh, generative uh, ab adversarial networks and um so that's basically has been has been added to some of the the previous uh, work and previous parts that i had for technology in general, uh, for me, what technology represents is a tool for liberation. So that is essentially what's, what's, uh, what drives me towards utilizing these technologies, creating new technologies, creating new processes, so that we can essentially improve the tasks that we are already doing and we know that are important and valuable for us. Um, uh, but in a way that uh, it optimizes the amount of time uh, that we are we are uh, basically spending on on the tasks that are let's say for the most part uh, repetitive or or less um, uh, are essential but less paid attention to because there's some sort of 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 discrepancy there in terms of whether that tasks is actually let's say production tasks or not. Uh, so that's that's what technology really represents for me. It's a tool for liberation. Um, and I'm excited to talk about it with respect to academia as well. And so I'll pass it back on to you, Trish. <laughs> I actually you um, you kind of brought two questions to mind uh, with sharing your career pathway, but also um, you know, one of the things that I found here or along my career, and I think you know this better than anyone about me, but, you know, you know, the, the side eye look that my dad gives me when he finds out that I, you know, I took a two year programming uh, diploma and then I went into a political economics uh, uh, <laughs> degree because it's like how did he never he can't understand how the two overlap. It's taken him a bit of time to figure out how how uh, how that works. And so one of the the one of the myths I would like to bust essentially um, that I see with the mental paradigm that people have when it comes to technology is they think it's just for computer science people. Um, and so I wanted your thoughts on it because you're in civil engineering and project management and, it, and it, those two fields themselves don't seem like they would be technology intensive or require you to be proficient in AI and to, uh, to challenge those things. And I know that you have some stories that you could probably share about some resistance that even your students have towards learning new technology. And I'm wondering if you, if you have any thoughts on, on, on maybe that, that myth or that mental paradigm or that mental block that students face when it comes to learning new technology when they think it's outside the realm of their, of their discipline. Yes, absolutely. I think you touch base on a very, um, very, very interesting topic because I think the way that our education system has been set from a very young age is to kind of support the 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 concept of let's say let's say very um, uh, how can I say this extreme specialization and and almost almost to a point of let's say. Uh, divisions of of labor, which I think, um, uh, especially with with today's uh, let's say uh, ways that we can actually perform tasks, I don't think that that type of mindset would actually work. 
Um, the reason behind it is because right now uh, we have the ability to let's say let's say the example of structural engineering um, we have the ability to utilize numerical methods like finite element method and these types of uh, of methods that are well very well established numerically so that we can analyze extremely complicated structures um, on the computer um, and be able to let's say uh, identify the uh, the structural responses um, based on how uh, essentially your your loading and different types of conditions and constraints are going to be so with that being said uh, if you do not know how to utilize computers you surely would not be able to analyze those types of, of, of structures by hand. You might be able to get some sort of, um, of approximation through some approximation methods or, or, or some other, other means, let's say, from experience. However, you cannot actually uh, perform the task and, and, and get to the precision that you require. Uh, similar to how a calculator is utilized, you need uh, to to know the concepts, but you at the core of it need to know how uh, you must uh, utilize these technologies so that the technology and let's say these computational methods can be utilized to its highest and most most effective uh, uh, way. Uh, so yes, yeah, so these computational methods essentially are very important. If you do not know how to use a computer, you cannot program it, you surely cannot analyze it as good as how a computer would do. That does not mean that the computer is making the decision on what to analyze and how to do it. You still need to model the problem. You still need to know what is uh, being, being presented inside of it. And sometimes uh, these types of techniques and technologies, if you do not know the limitations of it, you would not know that computers sometimes can give you inaccurate results. And with that being said, you need to have some sort of sense before you're using it. So this is also another aspect that I think is very important there. Um, for us to for us to know that technology and let's say these computational methods and I just gave one example that is that is well established and actually utilizes for the most part classical methods and of course nowadays you you have advanced machine learning methods that can support it. However, it is necessary for the student to know it and to learn it. Now, what that means is that we now have the ability to calculate things that let's say a uh, hundred years ago uh, were either impossible or uh, only only uh, uh, very very rarely you would be able to to access uh, that type of let's say computation power um, in today's society we have it on our on our phones on our on our tablets we can actually do it in a cloud-based system uh, it is our duty to be able to learn this. If we do not learn it, we're basically good as, as uh, being stuck in the Stone Ages. And that is literally how it is. Uh, I have a prediction that in the next 10 years, if let's say in my field, um, uh, the students do not know how to, how to program or interact with a computer and do not know how to, uh, how to, how to understand how at least the basics of how 
that type of computation is carried out. So you need to have a very good idea and a good sense about the basic principles of it, some of its limitations. And the rest, you can, uh, with the support of the computer, you can actually create some tremendous uh, uh, work and, and tremendous things that you would never have been able to, to create on a, on a normal situation. One example, for instance, that I used uh, with, with uh, my students was utilizing, let's say, simulation. So, so in, uh, for, for construction, project management, you, for scheduling, you have a very famous um, uh, procedure called critical path method. Uh, the critical path method is basically it's traditional. There are some obviously problems with it. But then when you add the concepts, you can you can potentially do it by hand as well. If it's for one project, one time, you can, you know, even for large projects, I'm guessing you can you can maybe do it by hand. But then if you want to add uncertainties inside of the durations of the activities, you need to do it, let's say, a thousand times over and over and give it different types of, uh, let's say, uh, random numbers within the upper and lower bound of what you think with respect to if a particular risk actually occurs or not, that duration of activity might change. So then you have to do it a thousand times. This this would, would be significantly challenging for you to do it, and it's going to be repetitive as well, especially for large projects. So you do it one time, model the system, model the problem, and then you allow it to simulate a thousand times, and then you think to yourself, okay, is this good? Is it not good? Then you have a probabilistic approach towards what the duration of, uh, let's say, your project is going to be uh, based on a particular, uh, uh, let's say, percentile. So 67% of the time, we will be finishing it within, let's say, 12 months, whereas previously, you can only do it one time. Um, so going back to your question about uh, the uh, importance of this, this is extremely important. If uh, students do not know how to utilize it, I'm giving examples of my discipline, but in any other discipline, it's going to be similar analysis that we can make as well, and we can we can do that. Reza, you know, I, I when I think of um, where AI is going and also where the media has been covering it, I know <laughs> for, for a lot of my colleagues who are, are more in arts disciplines, they've They've noticed that AI is popping up a lot more in their worlds, whether it's ChatGPT or MidJourney. And I think there's a bit of fear of replacement. Should those people in those disciplines be worried, much like you know a, a factory worker or a, a horse cart driver at the turn of the 19th or the 20th century, or or you know factory workers at the uh, turn of the 21st, should they be worried about being replaced by AI? Uh, the answer to that is yes and no. Um, the yes comes with the fact that um, uh, there are some jobs that would be displaced by means of uh, certain types of automation and certain types of technology. Uh, but I find that these jobs, for the most part, um, it's, it, it, they are types of jobs that would allow for proper liberation of, of, of um, uh, human and human uh, time. So uh, as an example of that, let's say, so for instance, I had a, I had a discussion with one of my students and, and we were talking about it. And one of them said in, in Germany, 
for instance, a, a lot of these gas stations, they're not automatic. So what you would have to do is you have to park your car, you have to go inside, someone has to be there. So many of them are not going to be 24 seven. Um, uh, with that being said, one of my uh, students were, were talking about it and he was of the belief that you know Germany is doing an excellent job of keeping uh, these people, uh, let's say working. Um, and uh, the immediate short-term uh, response is yes, it is, uh, because these people might not, you know, have other opportunities at this particular time. However, uh, just imagine. Uh, however, uh, so for instance, we we went to to uh, to another place. Let's say let's say Canada. Canada. The majority of the gas stations, you have the opportunity to have it automatically. And this by itself uh, improves quite a bit, let's say that payment part, and you don't necessarily need a person to just collect your payments when you can actually uh, defer this uh, to, a, to a machine to do it. Now, there are two sides to this. One is that, yes, in the short term, maybe that person would be displaced if you introduce this technology just out of nowhere, completely uh, from scratch, just adding this technology and completely uh, ruining this person that has thought of this being their, their job for their entire uh, time that they're going to be alive. But if you think about it a bit deeper and in a more sustainable and long-term, why would a person with their own choice and in their own volition choose a life of standing there and not doing anything else uh, or doing something that a robot or a, or a simple automation can actually do instead of them. That's the liberation parts that I'm talking about. Yes, we have to, as a society, we have to come up with strategies that we need to really, really think about that do not disturb significantly and create significant joblessness uh, by by introducing a technology that would also create chaos we need to have a transition plan and this transition plan is extremely important this includes retraining people this includes um, uh, refocusing how ai how these technologies can be utilized i mean the majority of the problems with let's say the factory workers was was uh, was some of the ideas of of people like henry ford with 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 uh, with divisions of of significant divisions of labor which in some areas some some aspects for instance in automation can actually improve quite a bit because then you can divide every task to exactly what it needs to be and you allow a person to do that and you also uh, would in order to completely automate this you need to really rethink everything from uh, from the top to the bottom. So the investment is also not worth, let's say, the the manufacturer itself. So they decide, okay, we divide it into into these tasks, and we we then allow it. This is the same thing that that is happening with Amazon as well with the workers. And um, the reason why the workers are not happy is because their time is not being utilized to to its fullest effect. No one in their right mind would actually choose that. As, as as how to live if you have another choice. And this is where I always have a have a problem with that. Um, and and I, I always like to like to take it, make it make a distinction that 
we are trying to liberate people so that we don't uh, do the things that, uh, let's say, a computer can do and a very simple system can do. And at the same time, now we open up time so that we can actually you put our brains together and come up with some very interesting and creative ways of living and improving together. But this requires a transition plan. You cannot just do it out of whim. It would create chaos and it would create mayhem. And it's not something that I would recommend at all. However, it is something that is coming. And it's something that if we are too comfortable with standing somewhere or just doing something, which is also going to be quite challenging to do because these are physically demanding jobs. However, uh, we want to transition into supporting people so that people in general can can think better and actually can can uh, can have a have a have a liberating thought process. So that's basically the the short answer that I can give to this very complex, uh, question that you've asked, which is an excellent question, mm. and no one way is going to work. The more important part is the transition plan there. How do you transit? And I know that, for instance, Trish was actually involved in some uh, projects with respect to uh, to uh, um, to to uh, to supporting, let's say, oil and gas employees uh, to 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 get retrained. And this was a government-funded program, right, Trish? Um, to get retrained for for their uh, for let's say computer skills and software and these types of things and this this way they have their original skills but they also do not go and hyper uh, specialize they can actually now transit and improve um, uh, using using uh, the technologies that are right now available to us. Um, if I can even add to that because I think that that was a very fantastic question, Duncan. I um, and thank you for asking that because. Uh, for me, when you mentioned that, I thought there's a couple of things I thought about too, and I'd love Reza's thoughts on this. But the first is I'll share a personal story, and that's uh, my dad. He's he's over the age of 55 now. I, I stopped counting honestly when he got to 55. Now he's just old to me. But um, he actually he's a welder, and he's a journeyman welder, and he's been welding his entire life. And he did that so that he could put food on the table for us, and it was a relatively high paid job. But he also took pride in his work too because you know, if you're in trades, that is one elder that, that spoke to me about trades is he essentially told me that it's, it's a craft that you keep building. It's a for, it's an art form and you treat it like that because your output, it doesn't, the skill doesn't lie in your output. And, um, that's definitely how my father took that, took that role, even though it's not a role that people would typically look, you know, look highly upon, but, at 55, people stop wanting to hire him. You go through a couple oil and gas recessions, you're um, unemployed, your unemployment uh, rate starts to go to a place where you're spending two years out of the workforce and then you're trying to come back again, but they're trying to uh, short pay you because it's not ideal to be making more money. So sometimes the more, the more skilled you are at your trade, the higher the likelihood it is for the industry to push you out anyways. And that's the position he found himself in, especially going into uh, COVID is he was already, he was pretty much only working jobs for like six months at a time before he'd get laid off. And he spent most of his life uh, working consistently at a single employer. So it's not a personal defect that he had, because I know that's a very Alberta specific, you know, um, pain point that people go through, but he actually was able to uh, go back to school and pursue 
uh, security, uh, IT security, and he's learning about like cryptocurrency, how to how to work navigate that, and he's doing a two year program, and he's he's attacking learning a new trade and a new technology, and at his age too, and he's just um, he's actually feeling the most mentally stimulated uh, that he's felt in a very long time, and I can see it in his overall confidence level, and and that made me think a lot about you know the state of AI as it is, like people think that AI is, is coming to get your jobs and technology is coming to get your jobs. And it's like, we have, we have problems with jobs before that. And especially in art, in the arts-based world, that's a very complex uh, set of skills that you would have to have in order to create art. Um, but that led me to, to think about what are some of the softwares that I've come across, like AI type softwares I've come across. And I think Reza can kind of speak to this limitation a little bit more, but what are the limitations with AI technology in terms of where is it sitting right now? Is it really in a position to take people's jobs? Yes, that's that's an excellent question. And of course, um, you know, to to your, you know, the experience of, of someone that has actually lived their life in a particular way, uh, that is also a, 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 a transition that needs to be taken so that we can we can really understand um, what we would be, uh, what would uh, we would need to do uh, in order to to shift the mentality of of let's say I I'm looking for a job to actually going and creating a job, which is not going to be easy. This is a a a duty that I believe that the government needs to take in a in a in a proper way, so that we can we can actually now. Uh, depend on ourselves in a in a in a correct way, not in a way that that we're looking for. Let's say the oil and gas industry to to flourish, so that we can have a job in a in a very uh, low and 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 less sustainable than what is what is optimal. So that was to to that comment that you made, which I think, of course, if you improve your skills and you learn something new, and now you can. You can you can actually utilize your skills in in various different ways and you diversify it. You now have the opportunity uh, to to actually create new knowledge, create new jobs, and and uh, do 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 more more things as well. I mean that's how power and confidence comes into play. I always tell this to my students as well. Their experience with ChatGPT was that, and some of the projects that I actually gave them as well. It was them going a bit outside of their comfort zone and their comfort zone is unfortunately this is how we've conditioned students for for a very long time uh, and i know that that uh, it's not a person or it's it's just a mindset that has been there for a very very long time similar to to the whole idea of uh, of divisions of labor but not for the right reasons um, so there are some obviously good things about it, and there are some obviously problematic things that we would need to reform and improve. And one of these is essentially with respect to the idea that you need uh, to change the way that education is, is thought of. Education for the students needs to be that they learn something new and they have the ability to, to create something new with it as well. So that doesn't mean that when you're in the first grade, you have to do that. You need 
um, a, a structure where you can go from a very surface learning in terms of just knowing what, let's say, AI is to actually understanding the basic principles of every aspect of it and then recreating it. So there's a process that needs to go forward. There's no, there's no um, let's say, uh, um, uh, uh, speedy shortcuts there. It, it is a process that you need to go through. And especially with education, one thing that is very important is that you should not uh, refer uh, the basic principles and the basic elements of topics uh, to computers. And that means that you need to know, you need to be in charge of what the computer does. If you're not in charge of it, the computer is literally in charge of you. And the same way that you should not give your, your decision-making to any other human on this world, including politicians, including your 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 uh, your um, uh, uh, bosses uh, you you also don't give your your decision making and and the your 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 brain to a computer to make that decision so what that means is that you need to uh, be in charge and the way that you're in charge is by informing yourself about how the technology is used and how it can be used and how it can actually be abused as well and so one of the uh, topics that i had with my students was that I gave a, a project that was a bit outside of their comfort zone. Going back to the comfort zone, typically the comfort zone is professor says this in a deterministic way, and this is what's going to happen, and that's how the topic is done. And uh, and you learn that, and you go and do that uh, for, for 50 years, and uh, you don't need to learn anything new uh, as it comes forward as well. That is, I believe, in today's society, an incorrect way of, of, of teaching and facilitating the student learning experience. Uh, and I'm saying it incorrectly because our society has changed. And uh, with the utilization of technology, with the utilization of tools like ChatGPT, you now have the opportunity to gain a significant access of knowledge by simple human interaction. I mean, prior to it, you had it with Google. But now you have it with a software that can actually understand uh, what you are saying for some, uh, you know, uh, uh, to some level. And with that, that provides you with quite a bit of opportunity to do it. In, in the beginning, they were resent, uh, resistant because they, not resistant, uh, that's, that's a strong word, but the, for the most part, they, they had some fear inside of them. So there's a, there's a bit of paranoia. It's similar to the first time that you're taking a leap of uh, faith. You're always been told, let's say, by your parents to do it this way. All of a sudden, you, you don't have anyone else. You might not be able to, to, to know what to do. That's the type of leap of faith that we need to uh, provide and the type of power that we need to give uh, to, the, to the young generation. And that means that they need to come in terms of some of these phobias so that they can, they can, and, and some of these parts that might not necessarily be, be, uh, be, uh, it might be a, a bit outside of their comfort zone, so that they can actually learn, grow, and improve their, uh, their, their overall understanding and knowledge as a whole. And this way, our society also goes forward as well, because if uh, you cannot think, this is where you know tyrannical uh, uh, dictators and and um, not to not to go too much into into the political side, but this is basically what could happen. 
you need to improve on your critical thoughts and our education has to be geared and optimized to improve critical thought at all costs. So that doesn't mean that chat GPT now that exists, we need to go and let's say uh, prevent or forbid it in some form. You might need to regulate how you're doing it. You might need to inc include certain types of other tasks, allow the students to play around with it. But in a generic sense, uh, everyone needs to know what are the, how it can be used towards the good and how it can actually be abused. And for that, you need education in a proper way and you need to improve your critical thought so that you don't give your, your decision-making also to the computer because the computer makes mistakes. Uh, I mean, generative adversarial networks are, are prone to uh, a concept called hallucination. And they, for the most part, if I interact with it, it gives me an answer. <laughs> so, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be the perfect answer. Uh, I still need to dig through, and I, if I don't have any idea about the topic, I might get uh, get uh, misinformed about it. You know, I I think about that, but I also know like there are certain corners of academia where it's much more base level of like we have to ban this because students are going to use it to plagiarize. Students are going to use it to um, you know be academically dishonest. What's the middle step in between? radically changing our education system i.e what do i what do i tell that prof who's saying like no i just don't want to see anything like this in my classroom or there's also profs who see it as an arms race oh students are using ai to write their stuff well that means i now have to employ ai to catch them cheating yes so so there is there is a an important part that i want to uh, talk to you about because um, the the easy answer is that we need to, let's say, regulate it for, for the time being and reform some of the parts of our education system. However, I want to present a, a new, uh, let's say, let's say thought process that we need to actually try to employ as much as possible. And that thought process is, why is the first thing that is going to, let's say, some of the profs' minds is that the student is going to abuse this and is going to be, let's say, let's say, use it to plagiarize. So there are two problems with that. One is if a, a simple AI tool can actually carry out the assignment and the prof has no it's and the and the and the assignment is so let's say subjectively defined that the prof cannot uh, correctly go inside and understand what's uh, how that assignment or how that type of, let's say, uh, final project is needs to be graded, and they cannot uh, identify the difference there, then there requires some sort of reform. And, and that particular type of area needs to be needs to be revisited rather than us saying that that no to to AI or or no to that. The other part is, we have to train our 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 students and the learners, so that the learners are already their own ethical, uh, basically uh, beings. Why are we treating people? And this is this is my major problem with, and and that's the, the the major mindset change that I would like to present, is that why are we uh, treating people like criminals before they actually have done something? And with that being said, is that we need to 
create a, 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 let's say, a society where individuals can actually have some sort of moral and ethical understanding of why, if they're, let's say, not allowed to do this, or if they're not, not able to do this, why are they uh, choosing to do it? Why are they choosing to cheat? Because cheating is something that can happen regardless of whether you, you have AI or not, you have chat GPT or not. I mean, uh, I have uh, professors, especially, let's say, in Calgary, especially for for some, uh, some uh, uh, you know, basic, let's say, calculus and these types of courses that are quite general. Um, whatever assignment that they provide, the, the key is actually on the internet already. Um, the maximum that they would do is to maybe change some of the numbers here or there to just uh, change it. But the key of the majority of these assignments, if you just go and Google it, you're going to find it. What? So, so there's two problems with that. One is that why is the professor not updating that, or the system is not updating that in a in a in a in a proper way so that it does not come come out, uh, so that 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 is not there. So that's one question that needs to be answered. And the second question is, why are we uh, treat, not treating students and learners like adults that they are, that they have a responsibility to the future and to the society? And with that being said, is that we need to have a mindset change. We cannot be telling them what to do and what not to do, because if we do that, that is that is a very dangerous place, and we're going to be at a place where they're always going to be looking for that, let's say, father figure or mother figure that is going to slap their hand whenever they go go uh, left or uh, whenever they go right. They need to be able to find their path, and that by itself requires a huge change, which is which is necessary in my opinion, because we cannot be controlling people in that way. We're not in that. Uh, we, we we now have a significant amount of of ability to communicate uh, intelligence and communicate uh, information. Uh, we need to be able to to support people to uh, be be liberated in that area as well, and the students to also understand their significant importance in this world, which is to be able to think freely. Uh, create some of our, uh, 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 solve some of our very challenging problems that we have. We have a lot of challenging problems. And then understand their ethical obligation towards the, the humankind, uh, to people kind, and, and towards, uh, towards uh, their, their, uh, their, their, uh, the world that we live in as well. Because this is a great opportunity that we have now that we're in this world. We need to make the most out of it. So we can either choose to waste our time, um, ask for guarantees when we know that this world does not have any guarantees naturally built inside of it. There could be a, a an earthquake that, that comes and displaces uh, people, which this is exactly what has happened. So we need to be able to, to live in a more realistic way where we can actually be uh, be be more wary of these uncertainties, and we can think on on our feet without looking at someone else to make the decisions for us. That doesn't mean that we cannot have advisors. That doesn't mean that we do not collaborate. We have to collaborate, but every person has to actually bring their own thought to to the conversation as well. And that's how we actually build a proper democratic society too. And that's one of the main parts with education. So talking about, let's say, ethical obligation 
in my field of construction and civil engineering, it's very important for, let's say, the structural engineers, uh, as an example, let's say, um, to, to, to design the structure uh, in a way that it is actually uh, going to withstand particular types of load. This includes, it depends on, of course, the region. This includes, let's say, earthquake and various different aspects and make an informed decision about it. If you go and cheat and by, by designing something something uh, that, that you get, let's say, money uh, for it, you have, and, and there's going to be an earthquake and, and uh, people are going to die. The blood of those people are on the hands of the person that decided to do that willingly. If someone makes a mistake, of course, we have to create a process that people just don't make mistakes. And this is where, of course, the AI and, and some of these decision support tools can support can help us. However, that type of ethical obligation that needs to be really uh, showcased to people because it is something that you cannot come back from it. You can pre pretend that uh, that's you know these are these might not be important uh, parts uh, or, or or aspects, but I believe it's extremely important, and I believe that people would pay one way or the other if they start cheating and if they start to start taking their assignments lightly and they don't actually do what they're supposed to be doing it is going to catch up on them onto them uh, and that by itself is 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 not going to be an easy task for them um so with that being said uh, i i agree that we cannot just change absolutely everything at once however we have to also acknowledge that we have been sitting on not changing the way that our education has been and the curricular for years right now. I can I can see from some some of my colleagues that they have not changed their curricular for for ten years. I mean, science on a daily basis, you have a thousand to to a hundred thousand different new papers coming out in maybe even in that particular field. How can you uh, uh, keep everything the exact same way? Uh, other, uh, uh, unless we can control everything so that everything becomes stagnant, or if we're not doing that, which is not something that I recommend at all, because uh, we have problems that we need to solve, and uh, education is one of the major uh, players in in supporting people and students and the future generation to be able to support with that and 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 solve some of our problems as well in the future. I always find it interesting because I think what you said there, it, it just uh, presents me with a bit of a paradox that we're in. And that paradox being that, you know, something like, uh, well, artificial intelligence and, uh, you know, technology like machine learning or uh, natural language processing, all these things, they're born out of research from academia that gets translated into industry and yet and yet we're finding ourselves in a situation where the very academics who push out their work and want to see people use their work um, are resistant to students implementing the work of others and using it in their daily lives so I find it's, a, it's an interesting catch-22 that we're in and, and that leads me to ask like the final question which I think is is the title of this podcast but what is ethical, like the ethical use of AI in academia? And um, what are your thoughts on that? Like, if you had to close it out, like, where, do, where is that line to Duncan's point? Where are the limits on what the ethical use of AI is in academia? That's a, that's a very, very good question, uh, Trish. Um, 
And so, so for instance, I'm, I'm guessing because of the, the history of, of what has happened here in Germany, um, we in, in, our, in our DFG application, which is similar to the, to the NSERC application, we have to actually, for any research that we, we propose, we would have to uh, state what are the, the dual purposes that we can use it. So you can use it for the greater good of mankind, or you can use it for basically uh, the worst atrocities. This includes, let's say, utilization of artificial intelligence for mass surveillance of people and privacy and, and so on and so forth, which are, which are atrocities to the mankind and, and their, their freedom and liberation. Because I believe that no entity or no nothing should have, should have that type of power because we, 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 just, we just don't want to go there. Uh, we've ran the experiment multiple times. We just don't want to go there. So how I like to see it is is this: um, we as a society need to look at, and this is you know in my field I could I could have particular parts to it, but in other fields as well, we have to look at uh, a simple uh, analogy that I always like to do. What are the benefits of it? Um, which are which are the obvious benefits that we can see because that's why people like it and they enjoy it. But we also have to see with these types of technologies, uh, how would someone like Stalin or how would someone like Hitler use this? And this is, even though it might be funny, that is how we have to think about technology and how we actually transit this technology out, outside. But with that being said, that doesn't mean that we cannot and should not be using this technology because there is a Stalin-like that is going to be using this for a, or, or Hitler-like that is going to be using this to, to, to manipulate uh, the brains of, of people and these types of things. No, we need to think about what it is that this could present as a risk. And sometimes there are risks that, that occur as well. And there are some, sometimes that certain groups of individuals misuse certain things. And these could be even basic technologies similar to, for instance, the internet. The internet can be used so that we, I, me in Germany and you guys in, in Canada, we can actually have almost a real-time conversation, something that even 10 years ago would have, would have been challenging to, to, to create. Um, and we can also to use it to to let's say do do uh, you know I don't know contribute to the dark web. So there are two sides to every coin that we need to look into, and how we would be able to ensure that our society does not repeat these types of mistakes, rather than let's say labeling a group or or doing that. We need to we need to understand that we we have to solve this in a in a proper way. And maybe the last part that I wanted to talk to you about, like everything else in this world, if we do not know how this technology is carried out and how it's been built, you are going to be be uh, be also subjected to the ma magician's uh, kind of like uh, like uh, like spell there. Um, essentially, if if you think that uh, oh my goodness, these these. These neural networks are just learning things that, that no one understands how they're learning it. And if, if you don't know, and because that is how the sales pitches also happen, and that's how, um, how unfortunately, some of our colleagues in computer science, for, for whatever reason, maybe there is uh, some, some mis, misinformation from their side, or maybe there is uh, actually intent, malice intent. I'm not sure. It's more it has to be judged on an individual basis. However, 
what you observe is is a a level where you think that magic all of a sudden is happening this is not magic uh, and and in no way shape or form can you think that a generative adversarial network that uh, is is a combination of a generator uh, mostly let's say deep learning um, uh, 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 type of network uh, in, com uh, in combination with a discriminator or a critic network that are both of which are trained can actually be something that's only magic and and let's say the idea of a black box can 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 provide no we we can actually go back and look at how these are going to be converging using the stochastic let's say gradient based uh, methods let's say adam optimization so that you can understand how the networks are actually being trained uh, where the black box exists is how the layers are going to go and and we really don't know how it is and it just figures it out but the way it figures it out it's not magic we can actually recreate each and every one of the affine transformations that goes from every layer in the hidden layer for deep learning uh, what what can happen because we can get the parameters from it it's going to be a bit challenging to do it by hand similar to how it's challenging to even simulate it in a brute force manner a, a billion different combinations it, it doesn't mean that it's magic uh, it still cannot uh, deal with things that it's never seen before and this is something that is very very important for us to understand here that means that, for instance, if I train my my uh, my uh, uh, my uh, facial recognition, uh, uh, you know, deep learning, let's say, uh, classifier um, uh, network, let's say, re recursive convolutional neural network, and I and I and I go and 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 train this with with uh, with uh, pictures of a particular ethnicity, it might it 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 is trained using that it might not be able to work on another ethnicity, uh, which is obvious because now we're biasing the system towards a particular set of data sets. This by itself is important. Why? Because we need to understand what the limitations are. We need to understand how the system is, is built, what actually happens here. And then from that, we can actually truly come and, come and make a decision. Okay, is this problematic? What are the 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 limitations that the system actually has and could it actually uh, let's say uh, create uh, something something just just abnormal or not i mean we were we were playing around with uh, with these these it's called those are called conditional uh, uh, generative adversarial networks you have two networks and you try to uh, create, train this generator network by means of how well it can actually fool the next network, which is the discriminator network. The generator network never sees the actual data. That's why it might come up with combinations that the discriminator network cannot discriminate between the images that it's been, or, or whatever data that it's been trained with and what it's not been trained with. However, it doesn't still have an understanding. It doesn't have consciousness. And, you know, people start talking about it has its own, uh, we're going to get to a point. I I mean, I can't see that happening, especially in this way. But what it, and, and I think that is a part where it's, it's a bit more of a fear mongering side that AI is going to 
you know, take all of your jobs and and uh, uh, make decisions for you and these types of things. No, uh, that is that is uh, you know not something that I see at least with these types of technologies. These types of technologies can provide you with some sort of decision support that is a bit new, so that whatever information you have already had and provided, it can actually generate new information with respect to that. So. With that being said, you can still say, I want, I, I think we, we we tried it, right, Trish? We, we gave it, for instance, um, uh, someone's head in the sand and their or or and and their their you know background of Australians and it and it uh, basically generated something there, but the feet of the person was was on the other side, so their 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 uh, bum was basically facing up, but their feet. And their head was in the ground, but their feet was on the other side. It's as if they were dislocated there. Uh, well, that is obviously incorrect because that's not how the human autonomy works. Any human would be able to detect that this is incorrect. Yet an AI model that has been trained on billions on billions of data could not understand that. So we have to understand the limitations of these technologies and what it can actually provide. And... In order to do that, we need proper education and, and again, not being afraid of, of, of uh, uh, touching this. You cannot understand how a generative adversarial network is going to be working. And because of that, you are going to think that, oh, my goodness, um, uh, basically aliens are here and they're going to be taking over the world. And the reality of it is that, well, you have to think about it if the Gauss-Newton method was, was developed generations ago. What were we doing not even having an idea of what this method is and how it can actually be utilized? And therefore, there might be many years that we have not been uh, looking into what these methods and what these technologies could provide. And therefore, there's a bit of a fast track that is required. Wow, that was... Um... That was a lot. <laughs> that was a lot. <laughs> it definitely uh, gives us a lot to think about because it's a very complex topic. And um, I mean, thank you for for trying to trying to talk about it in an hour. Um, it's not an easy feed because I know this is something that could easily just be a series all by itself. And uh, I know for our students and uh, for our, um, our members, uh, our fee paying members, like for us, it's important for us to understand that it's not something we need to be afraid of. It's something that we should start headed towards. Um, and I think for the academics that are our professors, you know, if they happen to listen to this podcast, I would say, you know, there is a way to integrate it into your course in a way that um, makes sense, but it also enhances the learner experience so that they're more prepared to go into industry because industry is using ChatGPT and they're not thinking about whether or not it's plagiarism or not. So by not preparing us to go into the workforce um, or onto research projects that I'm working on even, to be able to utilize this technology, you're essentially preventing us from being able to use all of the tools at our disposal um, to, just to be competitive. And so, you know, thank you for that. It was an incredibly insightful conversation. Uh, we appreciate you spending the, the time difference uh, from Germany to talk to us and to share your experience with this and to also um, knowledge share uh, on this topic. And uh, I know we appreciate it. Yeah, no, thank you, Reza. And thank you, Tristina. Um, this was very insightful. And um, thanks so much for sharing with us. 
course, I, I'm uh, happy that, that you invited me and of course, uh, happy to be here and I hope that you enjoyed it. 